Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burnt Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content at burntorangenation.com. Before we jump in, a couple of things I'd love to talk to you about. First, man, if you've ever wanted to start a podcast or thought or dreamt of starting something like what we do here at the Longhorn Republic, man, we have a cool opportunity for you. Our podcast host, Podient, actually is offering all of our listeners a free 14-day trial and 25% off the first three months of your premium membership there. All you need to do is go to podient.co and sign up using the code Longhorn. Man, we love the service they provide. They handle all the technical stuff for you. They build your site. They host it. They give you the links to send out to iTunes, Google Play, all those places where you find our podcast. Again, if you'd ever thought of uh, starting a podcast, man, it's such an easy way to do it. You get that 14-day free trial and 25% off your first three months of premium using the code Longhorn at sign up. Another quick thing, man, we want to get a snapshot of who's listening to our show. We really want to know who we're talking to, who we're dealing with. So we actually have a, a demographic survey that's linked in your show notes. So if you'd love to let us know a little bit about you there, it's a four question survey, I think, the survey service said it will take like 35 seconds for you to fill it out. I just want to know a little bit about who is listening in on our podcast. We can get a better uh, snapshot of who we have with us every week. Again, you can find the link to that in the survey in the show notes, or you can go to bit.ly slash LHR pod survey. Well, my name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I am joined by my good friend, the illest, the realest, Kyle Carpenter. Casey, how are you doing this week, man? Hey, I'm doing all right. It's uh, it's NBA playoff basketball season. And though my beloved Spurs are at a point of crossroads, I still get basketball uh, mostly every night, which is awesome. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> this week I worked like 150 hours or something like that so I didn't get to see much of it but uh NBA Twitter is on fire as long as as well as uh recruiting and draft Twitter has been good and uh and you know took a little uh took a little weekend trip to the to the beach just to clear the head and recharge the batteries this weekend and uh and back and and feeling feeling ready to hit another week that's the advantage of being in Houston is that you can just make a quick jaunt over to Galveston and and be be at the beach like what how bad could that be yeah pro tip for all of our uh, listeners who aren't in uh, the Lord's favorite state God bless Texas um if you're coming to us from anywhere uh, across the globe I know we have our multitude of listeners um, you know, in the in the African continent, and, and as well as I'm sure all across the greater Europe, um, be close to a beach. Never live in a landlocked state. If you're not familiar with the U.S. geography, of course, Oklahoma, no bodies of water that uh, that connect to the greater ocean. We've got several man-made lakes that are actually pretty uh, pretty legit here. So we're going to dive in. Uh, the NFL draft was this past uh, weekend. Texas had some players notably drafted, uh, a little bit lower than people were expecting. Also, a lot of players notably not drafted. So we'll talk about where they landed and what that means for their future. Uh, baseball had kind of a pivotal series this weekend, maybe didn't quite go their way. And then a lot of those non-revenue generating sports that we love to talk about tennis and golf had some really really big weekends and then obviously we will close out today's show with bang the drum so kyle you and i we watched the draft we had kyle crabs on a couple weeks back talking about the draft where texas players would land where he had them ranked and it didn't quite go as he and most draft experts uh, thought and plotted would happen so first round thursday night 
Nobody hears a name. That was almost expected. There were talks maybe Connor Williams slides in at the bottom of the first round, but he's still sitting on the board. Thursday night, I'm watching um, Bleacher Report's recap. Like, Connor Williams, best player still on the board. I think he goes 32-33 first couple of picks. That round starts going. And then about 18 picks into the second round, Connor Williams gets picked 50th by his hometown Dallas Cowboys. Really cool moment if you haven't seen on his Twitter. Uh, he breaks down when the Cowboys call him, which is really cool. Uh, we had Malik Jefferson, uh, 78th to the Cincinnati Bengals. He was uh, the 14th pick of the third round, which means he gets free pizza for a year and hosted a pizza party uh, actually on Sunday in Cincinnati for <laughs> all of his fans. We actually had a BON writer there who was taller than Malik, guys 6'6", six, six, which is really impressive. Um, <laughs> and then uh, this podcast favorite, Michael Dixon, went 149 to the Seahawks. They actually traded up to, to draft a punter, which hasn't always worked out, but I think it will work out in this, uh, in this situation. And then at 190th, Deshaun... Elliot, who called himself the steal of the draft, was, uh, was picked up by Kyle's Baltimore Ravens. They will uh, have another piece in a in a historic uh, town for defense and specifically maybe safeties. Uh, we'll talk about that. So Kyle, of of the four guys that heard their name called on uh, on mostly Saturday. Um, who is in the biggest position to make an immediate impact or, or find a way onto the field? I think this is a this is a pretty good group of guys who will contribute and potentially have uh, lengthy NFL careers. We'll see how many Pro Bowls come out of this group. I think uh, my hope is that that Dixon will uh, will will anchor a lot of those. Um, he seems to be the for sure, uh, but you never know. But uh, I mean, I I do think that obviously Michael Dixon is going to have the most immediate impact but uh, the, the more fun conversation is uh, who are we going to see get in there first a couple notes on each of these guys um, Connor went 50th like you said to the Cowboys which is an awesome moment they actually announced him as a guard I don't know if you noticed that um, you know instead of tackle which which is interesting I mean we talked a little bit with with Kyle Krabs about that he said you know how how GM saw him um, would probably project uh, to, to where he got drafted so um, there were a lot of guards, or excuse me, there's a lot of tackles that kind of went after McGlinchey went, I think, somewhere in the 11 to 13 range. Um, there was kind of a run on a couple guards, and it followed exactly like what he said. They were like just big, lengthy guys who probably weren't as good as Connor, but were more uh, fit the archetype of what a tackle should look like. Um, I think Dallas obviously is a wonderful spot for him just for the sentimental value, um, the coming home. Um, I think it's a really good offense. I think you get to block for a wonderful running back, which it's a you know it's a symbiotic relationship. Um, running backs make the line look good, and the line makes running backs look good. So Connor can go in and play, and probably be you know an asset to that team that he can play three, maybe four of the offensive line positions right away. I think that's going to be really really good uh, for his value there. Um, I think Malik is going to have a little fire. You know, I think um, Malik will feel like he has some proving to do at the next level. 
Um, the Bengals are also a, a pretty good historical kind of defensive unit, and they, they have some dudes at that linebacker position. They've had some great athletes over the years. Um, so I think that could be a good spot for him to shine. We'll see. He may not come in and obviously be a day one starter or anything, but probably should see in some packages, especially like uh, like you know Kyle also talked about, is if he could get um, used in specific packages like a, a kind of weak side backer who can really um, use his athleticism as he learns the NFL game a little bit, could, could see some instant play the one i'm curious about is deshaun elliott so he's going to be backing up eric weddle who's you know pro bowl caliber safety um but for some reason to me i just feel like the texas kind of defensive player fits really well in the ravens system one of as a ravens fan and as a texas fan my all-time like oh what ifs is if if uh, sergio kindle doesn't fall down the stairs and and basically end his nfl career with that just nasty nasty ravens team that he got drafted into um with his ridiculous athleticism and just kind of being groomed under you know terrell suggs and ray lewis and Haloti nada and just you know ed reed and elite 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 defenders um this was an interesting um, draft class for the Ravens. I think Deshaun Elliott is going to be a guy who is good value at his pick. Um, I think he won't be asked to be to do too much in that defense. They'll they'll be able to play to his strengths. Um, so I, I think that's actually a good place for him. I think it's going to be a, a motivator for him that he went as low as he did. Like I said, the steal of the draft tweet just like killed me um you know after he got drafted he said yeah the Ravens just got the steal of the draft like I love that the dude is the dude is uh feeling himself he's feeling slighted and that can lead to a really potent you know situation because if you get all of a sudden you know you you uh you get drafted you're you're a college kid you're you know played high school football then college football and you're like all right this is it for me and then you go monday and you log into you know whatever your bank is.com and all of a sudden there's you know 400,000 just sitting there that wasn't there the day before uh, or more you know <clears throat> that can have a pretty big psychological impact on these kids um it could maybe make you not as focused on on the uh future you know because you have actually literally secured the bag um so i like seeing hungry guys i like seeing hopefully Deshaun and malik hungry um i like dixon maybe with a little chip on his shoulder it came out widely reported that the the broncos after trading that pick to the seahawks um were audibly laughing in their draft room when the Seahawks used it to draft a punter so let's see let's see the uh the thunder from down under with a little chip asunder <laughs> I'm going to take a minute to let that marinate. Um, <clears throat> really kicking the heck out of the ball next year. Seeing Connor Williams go 50th was a bit shocking because a year ago, the guy is getting talks as a first round talent at left tackle. Like that for me is, is crazy. And so I think I'm, I'm honestly borderline Cowboys hater, not a huge Cowboys fan. Um, but to see a guy go into a position with pretty established running game, pretty established quarterback game, a defense that if you look at what the Cowboys drafted, maybe on the up and up, like Connor Williams is in a really enviable spot from some of these guys. I think, um, he's already on specific on some sites slotted as the second guy at left guard. Uh, so and if he continues to play mean and nasty, he posted a, a Twitter picture this morning of him running hills. So he's not taking any days off, which is good for a young guy. And I think we uh, we talked about it a bit, you know, uh, weeks when players were declaring, you know, this is a new thing for Texas for, to have guys declare early. And then, you know, the guys who declared early, Connor, Malik, Deshaun, uh, Holton Hills, kind of a different situation. But 
you know, Malik and Deshaun go and Dixon even, uh, you know, they go late in the draft and, and, you know, Holton Hill goes undrafted. You know, obviously there are other things at play there. That for Tom Herman is a great point of argument of, hey, maybe stay around an extra year and work at your craft and, and get better. Yeah, I mean, it, so there's a couple, I think, caveats to that. I mean, what, talk about Connor. He's the first Texas lineman drafted since 2008 when Tony Hillis was drafted, which was a stat that absolutely blew my mind. There have been some guys undrafted that have played pretty meaningful minutes. Um, but I think what that speaks to is that if you win, you're going to probably project a little higher, right? This is a Texas team that GMs still look at and say, well, you know, these juniors and, and seniors even, they, they got one bowl in four years or three years. You know, these are guys who – it's a lot easier if you're between a, a guy from Alabama and a guy from, from Texas after last year to say, well, this guy played in the national championship three times in his career and this guy played in one Texas Bowl. There's a little bit of that that factor that is just going to inflate everything, right? You know, some of those Alabama guys are going to be bust and some of these Texas guys um, are going to show out and not everyone will pan out, but I, I do think that <clears throat> it works both ways. I think it is a good recruiting tool, if you think of it that way, for Tom Herman to talk some of these guys into staying, and I think talking Omenahu into staying was a big win for that defense this year, um, but, you know, I, I, I do think that... Um, the same way that winning and, and being a, a 10 win team and, and, you know, that will inflate the stock of some of these, uh, some of these guys who, who probably, you know, probably deserve to go a little bit higher just based on pure talent. Um, I, we had the, the four guys drafted, but we've also had, you know, a few guys signed. Um, so you want to talk about kind of the other guys who will be playing on Sundays? Yeah, so if the Seahawks didn't already want to be the official NFL team of this podcast, uh, they went ahead and signed Puna Ford and Jason Hall. So Puna playing in the league. Uh, Holton Hill, we mentioned him, landed with the Minnesota Vikings as well as Armonte Foreman. Uh, Antoine Davis joining Quandre Diggs in the Lions secondary. And then Nashawn Hughes, man, a, a guy who maybe didn't have his career go as well as he thought, ended up with the Green Bay Packers. So, you know, like we said, Holton Hill's kind of an extenuating circumstance with the suspension, with the drug issues. Um, you know, Puna Ford, Jason Hall, guys that, you know, maybe could have come, in, come off the board if Texas was better, like you mentioned. Uh, it's good to see Armonte Foreman there. I think, you know, if he yeah. goes and, and does what he's supposed to do, he could he could make a team. He could at least be a practice squad guy. Uh, and then you've got, you know, some names. Chris Warren, not linked to any NFL teams at this time. Uh, you know, he had an unfortunate transferring situation happen where he wanted to transfer. Credits didn't transfer. Not sure what happened. Uh, Terrell Cooney, Lorenzo Joe, Dorian Leonard, and Tristan Nicholson are all still uh, unsigned as of the time of recording, so late uh, Sunday evening. So, Kyle, for these guys, you know, whether it's the undrafted and signed guys or the undrafted and not signed guys, like what um, you know, what surprises you the most from that group? Um, I mean, we were talking about it before the show, and, and my answer is still the same. I think Holton Hill is probably after Connor. I mean, I'll, I'll say after Connor Malik and, and Dixon, just because of what Dixon can do at his position, he's probably the fourth best Longhorn. He's better, uh, I think, a better player than Deshaun. I think Deshaun could have benefited from another year, but I'm a little bit on that camp where I'm like, hey, man, I don't know if you're going to have a better year, so go when your stock's the highest. Holton, obviously if situations go differently to me is like a third or fourth round talent. The guy is just incredible. I mean, he's so strong. Uh, Todd Orlando said it, you know, said it 
a couple weeks ago that, that he was the best tackler on that defense last year. He was a lockdown cover corner, um, was able to break up passes, make some some key interceptions, was truly just you know one of if not the one of the two or three best players on that defense easily um and i and i just think it's sad and unfortunate but it, it is a, a redemption story chance um and he could be making those you know bleacher report lists in a couple years of best undrafted players um because he has that level of talent i love seeing jason hall get a shot the guy's nasty um i think he really could stick with an nfl team just because he's tenacious um Armonte Foreman is feel good for me. Um, I love it. I kind of was just assuming he would go to the Texans and make that team. But, you know, uh, who knows? If he goes and proves himself there, maybe he could sign. The Texans are always, it seems like, looking for new receivers. Maybe he gets to play with his brother again. Um, but Antoine Davis, a guy who we said, you know, on this pod a little bit, just um, really showed out, did well on the physical side of the combine, or not at the combine, but the uh, the pro day and at the drills, just just looks to be a, a guy who could work his way in, onto a team. And I think having, like you said, um, kind of an elder mentor from Texas there uh, will really help him, will help him with that transition. Uh, the number one here, though, for me, after Holton Hill's talent is just Puna Ford, we kind of predicted it, that he was going to make some team look like a genius, and we we kind of narrowed it down to probably about three choices. Seems like the Ravens, the, the Patriots, and the Seahawks always seem to be that team that finds the most talented guy that no one else saw. Um, we had Jackson Jeffcoat get picked up by the Seahawks after, um, you know, and he's had some injury issues, unfortunately, but, um, you know, is actually turned it around and had a really good CFL season last year I think seven or eight sacks and could look to work his way back in the NFL now that he's healthy but uh, but nonetheless I think I think Puna Ford on the Seahawks is is probably a wonderful wonderful marriage of, of talent and um, you know just a, a system that can that can make the most out of him so he's he's a guy I'm looking for Holton Hill and Puna Ford as the undrafted guys to to really have good NFL careers and improve some people wrong I think the biggest one in the unsigned guys that kind of makes you feel a little licky is is Chris Warren um he's a guy who I wouldn't I wouldn't have been surprised if like the Seahawks just on family legacy took a flyer on him you know on a practice squad or something um but you kind of feel bad for just how the whole thing shook out for him a little bit I don't think Lorenzo Joe or Dorian Leonard are that big a surprise but you know they're, they're athletes they could they could have a career, but they remind me a little bit of like a Mike Davis who in that, you know, had a decent Texas career and has really never, I don't even think had a cup of coffee with an NFL team. So, um, you know, some of these athletes, you, you truly just get to a level and you don't make it to the next one. Um, I'm not surprised that no lineman from, from Texas outside of Connor uh, was signed on a team. No offense to, to Terrell or, or, or Tristan Nicholson, but um that's not the unit you want to be associated with if a team's looking to looking to add talent and and proven uh, proven success to their team. Yeah, and and like you said, I think Seattle isn't a really it's a really good spot for uh, Puna. You know, they've got a ton of of uh, D tackles on that, but that's a team that really is wanting to. Uh, it's a defensive minded team. You know, even though. You know, Russell Wilson was the top, one of the top producing quarterbacks in the uh, in the NFL this year. It's because they couldn't, they were playing from behind quite a bit. So there may be a lot of uproar on that defensive side of the ball just to see um, what they can do. And again, he's he's always been the guy who you know 
people look down on for his size. And so he's used to that. He's a guy who will continue to play bigger than he is. I think he's definitely got a shot um, on that defense. Cause again, I do think there'll be some upheaval, uh, some upheaval there. So quickly let's jump to baseball. So number 19, Texas Longhorn baseball team made a trip to Morgantown, a place that is uh, for any sport really kind of just like playing on another planet. And so they won Friday night, they fell behind six to three and then managed to score six runs in the uh, seventh inning uh, to go up uh, and take the lead. They finished the game 11, six. Thanks to Ryan Reynolds, uh, RBI double in the seventh and then Texas lost the Saturday and Sunday tilts. Um, they actually had a lead in the bottom of the eighth and then two wild pitches gave uh, West Virginia the tying and go ahead run. There was a, a two on single sandwiched in there on a Saturday and then Sunday. West Virginia was just all over them again from a big eighth inning. They scored four in the eighth and closed the game out eight to three. So Kyle, we talked a few weeks back how Texas baseball may have been on an upswing and they looked like they were probably uh, moving in the right direction. So what, what happened and what can they do to right the ship uh, heading into a, a pivotal week in their season? Yeah, I think pivotal is, is exactly it. Um, uh, this was always going to be a tougher kind of series than it looked like West Virginia, um, you know, had a really up and down season. I think they were four and eight coming into this uh, in twenty and eighteen, just barely a winning record coming into this. So they didn't look like the toughest challenge left on on UT's schedule. But they, even with kind of the ups and downs, were still the the number thirty three RPI team coming in. So that will probably go up after after beating the number nineteen Texas. Um, so a good team, but again not a better team than Texas. It shouldn't be if, if Texas is what we think we are. Um, I, I think there's an issue with the pitching staff that, that, you know, consistency is something we've been talking about and we've kind of focused on the offense because the pitching was supposed to be good. And, and we've really been getting a lot of our offensive production from a few guys. So that was a kind of a critical point, but you know, you just went in a series where you gave up, um, six in a win and then gave up eight and eight in consecutive losses. I mean, there's a point where you don't say, okay, I need to score 10 runs every game. That's just unrealistic. Um, so there needs to be some consistency in this pitching staff as they kind of round up the season. And it would, it would go a long way if they could really, uh, really fire off and it doesn't have to just be a sweep on the way out, but really get the starters looking good, get the bullpen coming in, have some consistency at the closer position where it looks like they can hold on to some of these. I mean, two wild pitches in the eighth inning is just on acceptable for you know a team that has any type of of postseason aspirations but like you said this week coming up they play texas tech who uh who is the number number three four team in the country right now um and is right there behind them in the big 12 standings um a, a team who you know a lot of people are projecting to go really far they have some big big bats on that team and have at least one elite um you know, all conference, maybe all American caliber pitcher. Um, the the nice thing is, is they get to play Texas State twice in the final. It's not uh, not a gimme, but you know, just just a team. And then staying in Texas, uh, you know, the the two games against Texas State are home. They do go to Lubbock in between those, and then they have the final series against a TCU team that actually came into came into uh, Texas Tech and, and took the series two games to one. So a Texas Tech team that. Is has been hot, has uh, been a little bit up and down themselves, but seems to really be turning it on, and that's how Texas ends their season. So, really, two 
vital, crucial series that if they can win both these series, they're going to be in the driver's seat. If they lose both of these series, it gets really hairy um, come postseason time. I mean, being in the middle of the Big 12 doesn't really guarantee you anything right now, um, you know, postseason-wise. So I think this is vital. I think uh, tune in for all of these because this is going to really, uh, really determine what the baseball team is able to do and whether they get any shot at postseason play. Yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. And, and you know, there are some extenuating circumstances. You don't always see wild pitches from your bullpen. But giving up 20 runs over three games – like that's not that's not a good look. Like you've got to figure out how to shore that up. Like giving up routinely that many, like upper 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 levels of runs. You know, seeing double digits is rare, but seeing six, seven, eight is is crazy to me. Like I I don't necessarily know that that you can you can't have any postseason success if you're giving up that that many runs. I mean that's and the other the flip side is you're not going to see pitchers that are going to give up eleven runs. They're, they're, you're not going to be able to give up. This isn't Mike Leach's Texas Tech football team where you can give up 80 and score 81. Like That's not how Big 12 baseball is going to work, and for darn sure not the NCAA tournament. So they've got to figure out what's going on defensively and in that pitching staff that's going to let them keep reasonable numbers of runs on the board. And I just I just looked. I hadn't really paid much attention to it. I just looked for, for giggles at, at, at the Big 12 standings right now and, and went down to the bottom. In West Virginia, of course, um, kind of moved into I believe a tie with TCU for like sixth or whatever that is, but down at the bottom are the two Kansas teams. But I, I do love that Kansas State has only won three uh, Big Twelve games, two of those against Texas. Yeah. So it's it's quickly shaping up to be that you know you can have your Oklahoma States and your OUs, you could take your old Baylor, you know, rivalry, whatever Tech, you know, on a on a night game in in Lubbock, sure. But I, my my biggest games now for me the rest of any sport you know we're going to be looking at are. are trips to West Virginia in any time Texas plays Kansas State. That's that's my least favorite games that Texas has to do in any sport. Gosh, I'm tired of losing to either of those teams. Yeah, it it just it feels bad. Just just feels bad after a while. All right, before we hit bang the drum, let's talk briefly about tennis and golf. They were both in action in conference tournaments this weekend. The men's and women's tennis teams both won the Big 12 tournament. The women swept both the regular season and tournament titles for the first time since 02. They haven't won a conference tournament since 2003. The NCAA tournament for them is going to start on May the 13th, while the men beat Baylor. Woo, love to see a Texas team beating Baylor. It's their first conference tournament win since 2010, and their championship tournament will start for an NCAA title on May 11th. Golf was in action as well. Senior Doug Gim, who we talked about in our Masters brief recap, he got his second win of the season and claimed the 2018 Big 12 uh, individual title. And uh, Gim, that made him the sixth Big 12 champion in Texas history and the 15th individual conference champion. As a team, Texas finished second place in the tournament at 27 over par. That's just like if you and I went out in, in golf, we'd probably end up 27 over par on one round, not not a whole tournament, just, just right, one round. Right, that's that's the caveat. <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, not we would not do a weekend 27 over par. We would do a 
Saturday, 27 over par. I get that on the front nine sometimes, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Texas <laughs> is going to see if it makes the NCAA tournament. The selection show is May 2nd, so coming up here in a couple of days. Uh, if you're interested, it's on the Golf Channel. You can watch that uh, 4.30 p.m. on Wednesday. The women's golf team starts its postseason tournament. Uh, postseason journey. The women's golf team, ranked seventh in the nation, will start its postseason tournament play on the seventh uh, at the NCAA Austin Regional, which is nice to have that in your backyard. It's going to take place at the Texas Golf Club, a course that they may or may not be pretty familiar with. So they are the number two seed in that tournament, uh, right behind Arkansas from the SEC as the number one seed. But let's close it out, Kyle, with everybody's favorite segment where we honor one of the best traditions in college sports period big bertha and bang the drum so kyle what are you banging the drum on this week well we talked a lot about the draft and i'll go back to it kind of quickly um you know there, there was a little bit of a uh, kind of taunting jest between a uh, good friend of the show um occasional maybe even listener of the show mario and uh, and myself about uh, about who we were going to see in the first round if you know it was going to be christian kirk or it was going to be connor williams um kind of the drama got towards the end um at 31 when the patriots didn't take connor at 32 does christian kirk go oh wait there's a trade it's my ravens uh, by the way fantastic moment they didn't draft either of them they tra- uh, drafted lamar jackson which was cool glad to see him get that but uh, we're like okay so no one in the first round uh, that snapped a streak for the Aggies which I was happy to see we were still kind of going back and forth we both knew we had a couple guys uh, who could play on Sundays uh, but we weren't sure who was going to hold the ultimate bragging rights and uh, now all the rounds have gone through and we've tallied it up and um, like we said trending in the right direction um, from a statewide perspective Texas actually uh, took the cake for the uh, the draft they had the the most players um, drafted of any Texas college um, they had four drafted again we talked about the all, all the guys who were, were signed who weren't drafted um, if you were going to go ahead and and I like to you know like provost and good friend of the pod Bill McRaven think of this from a system perspective if you throw in the the UTEP and UTSA offensive linemen who I think were both like first and early second rounders um that's going to go ahead and put the the University of Texas system at six Texas A&M system three um so that's you know a nice little disparity there for what the University of Texas system is doing better than you know I don't I don't know if anyone got in the NFL from national champion A&M Commerce I think the only thing A&M Commerce uh has contributed is that Jimbo Fisher has a deadline of 2099 to win a national championship when they gave him a replica plaque with a two zero filled in and, and blank blank on the the last two so so clearly winning the individual battle as well as the system battle uh is your university of texas longhorn football team kyle 20 xx is clearly saying it's a 2020 national championship so it's got two <laughs> seasons jimbo and get it Good together luck. Get it together. So, no, we're, we're both doing draft stuff. So I was working on uh, just some draft preview stuff, and I we knew Michael Dixon was good. We knew Michael Dixon was, was a really, really good punter, but we I don't think we realized at the time how historic his season really was. So outside of, you know, all the awards that he won, Michael Dixon literally holds the Texas records for everything punting related. If it is a Texas punting record outside of longest punt, Michael Dixon owns it. He has the highest average yards per punt in a game, a season, and a career, 
which is just phenomenal. Uh, again, top punting average for a single season at 47.4 yards per punt uh, for a career. He's averaging 45.3. And then for a game, he actually is the tie. <laughs> he's tied with himself for the greatest punting game in school history, averaging 55 yards per punt on two different occasions, which is just just ridiculous. So like, it's crazy to think about that. Like how good that dude was like the, I, I can't even fathom. Like he is in the conversation for greatest positional player at, at the school history. Like he's up there with people like Cat Osterman, like Kevin Durant, like Vince young, like, you know, Ricky Williams, like he's in the conversation with at what they were there to do they were the most dominant people. Like that's just astronomical to think about. Like he is on that, that Mount Rushmore, if you will, of positional people at the university of Texas. Yeah. And, and, you know, Texas has had a couple, uh, really legendary NFL kickers. You know, you had, uh, Phil Dawson, who's been in the league. I think he's going to set the record for 87 consecutive seasons. Um, but <laughs> that guy somehow is still in the league, but then, you know, UT, if if Dixon comes in the NFL and does what he did at the college level at the pros, UT could have the the best positional or kind of Pro Bowl caliber uh, specialist because Justin Tucker is um, good friend of the pod as well is the the most accurate um, place kicker in NFL history. So Texas uh, doing more than just the just just the beef. Come to Texas, we'll teach you how to punt. Uh, that's the show for this week. A couple of quick things, man. One, we'd love to remind you, take that demographic survey for us again. It's bit.ly slash LHR pod survey. Just let us know who you are. We want to just know who we're speaking with every week. We love to get a feel of the show. Again, you can shoot us an email as well. Longhorn Republic pod at gmail.com. Uh, you can hit us up on social media at Longhorn pod. Kyle, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, folks can find me at twitter.com slash Kyle Carpenter. Love it. Uh, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps a ton with visibility. Subscribe wherever you found it. And a big shout out to our listeners in Kenya. We got some <laughs> listens from Kenya this week, so I wanted to give you a shout out. If you're listening from elsewhere, I'm going to keep track of this. I just think it's cool to see people around the globe repping the Longhorn Republic. Thank you guys so much for listening in again this week. And until next time, hook them. Hook em.